I'm addicted to stress, that's the way that I get things done. If I'm not under pressure, then I sleep too long and I hang around like a bum. I think I'm so hello, you're listening to Unsubscribe, the podcast that stopped automatically downloading. I'm Matt. Name withheld, and I'm Peter Griffin. Not that one. So, what are we gonna talk about today in Here Now the News? Here now the news. Here now the news. Uh, well, you may have recently heard about this whole Coinbase uh, charging people five times fiasco. I have heard of that. It has been in the interwebs quite a bit. So for those who don't know, Coinbase is a website that facilitates trading of cryptocurrencies. So you can buy um, a fixed amount of Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash or Ethereum or so on. Now, I, I'll say like I've heard about... Uh, Bitcoin and um, you know the reason I found out about this particular case is that uh, you told me oh you should get this uh, cryptocurrency and um, I was like yeah let me do that except all of a sudden there's a problem and the problem is yeah (laughs) there's an overcharge. So full disclosure, I'm one of those idiots who invests in cryptocurrency. Um, I don't recommend anyone else does so uh, except for Peter. I recommend he does. Well I will be one of those idiots (laughs) soon. Yes. So like what I tell people around investing in cryptocurrency is don't put in any money you're not willing to just set on fire and throw in the trash. <laughs> so if you can like piss away $200, you know, buy some Bitcoin, see what happens. Uh, but going back to the topic at hand, um, Coinbase was uh, charging people several times. Um, and this is one of those things that got out there in the worst possible way. It really started when people started complaining um, to them on Twitter. So a whole bunch of people were tweeting at Coinbase saying, you keep charging me eight or nine times in a row. Uh, you've now overdrafted my account. What the hell is going on? This is super shady. And everybody lost their shit. Uh, pretty much every tech publication out there ran a story about it. Uh, you know, the usual suspects, uh, TechCrunch, The Verge, The Outline, and so on. Um, and there were a whole bunch of people on Twitter just throwing shade at Coinbase left and right. Um, and, and Coinbase, to their credit, they were very measured about it. Uh, they responded to the customers who tweeted at them, telling them to reach out to their support line. And uh, they didn't really give much of a comment. Um, so really, this is a good example of tech journalists smelling blood in the water and sort of just diving into it. Um, I, I know my first exposure to this was actually a tweet from a reporter at The Outline, which I don't know if you're familiar with the website The Outline. Are you at all, Peter? I, I mean, I've checked it out, but I'm not uh, totally familiar, so why don't you describe it? So it's it's a new website that uh, is from Joshua Topolsky. He is the... He used to be editor-in-chief at The at the Verge. Um, he ran Bloomberg's tech uh, site for a while. Um, and the best way to describe The Outline is like uh, reading an article that's kind of like talking to your friend in college who's just the absolute worst, you know, like how they have no expertise in anything and yet have like a really strong opinion about everyone else is doing everything wrong. Uh, if that's your jam, then I definitely recommend you read the outline because every article is just that over and over again on every topic you can imagine. Well, I can see, you know, especially, you know, Twitter's become a way of like when a service, an online service goes offline or inexplicably has a problem you know i do check the first place i now go is i I check twitter you know xyz uh software malfunctioning you know uh google's down or uh you know xy whatever's down i mean you know i i check twitter and find out who is talking about it and so i i can certainly understand why in this age of immediate information that um you know these tech journalists would see this problem see it you know, on their Twitter feed or something, and then just start, um, you know, getting paid a penny a word to uh, produce a stream of consciousness, an unsubstantiated 
allegations as soon as possible. And I mean, that that's definitely fair. We've talked about how support has kind of um, indirectly moved to Twitter in the past. But in this case, I think it's also, it, it has to do with cryptocurrency in general. Uh, with the recent pop of that big Bitcoin bubble, everyone's kind of really excited to jump on the bandwagon uh, at anything that looks kind of suspect. Uh, but but to get back to the main story, it, it turns out actually today, um, President's Day is when we're recording this, uh, Visa came out and confirmed that it was not Coinbase's fault. Um, it was actually on their end uh, that this problem was happening. So essentially, Visa was flagging these transactions. Then immediately, when they went to verify them, seeing that they were legitimate and then tried them again um, up to five times in a row, uh, which resulted in the errors and the, and the fees, um, <laughs> I'm going to say something that's going to sound really elitist and terrible, but I feel a little bit like if you're so close to the wire uh, that buying this uh, amount of cryptocurrency is going to overdraft your account, maybe you don't have any business buying cryptocurrency. Yeah, but I also see that because a lot of people don't understand cryptocurrency and there's a lot of you know, talk about bubble and conspiracies and uh, scams. There's such a spotlight on. Th- there's almost like a spotlight on the boom bust in a way that 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 is almost. Uh, everyone wants to be that person who unmasks cryptocurrency for the scam it is, or the people behind it are somehow malicious. So I also think a lot of this is driven not by the usual suspect in that. Um, you know, hey, I subscribed to um, you know America Online, and I was overcharged. You know, I was overcharged, or I was charged twice, or so forth and so on. It's like there was a scam, and they're gonna they're gonna take all your money, and they're gonna vanish to the you know some island, the island of Doctor Moreau, and uh, you know sit there counting your real cash while you sit there on a pile of you know fake money. And in fairness, like th- that kind of thing has happened before. Right. Mt. Gox is the most famous example where this was, at the time, the biggest centralized hub for cryptocurrency. And they ended up getting hacked and everyone lost a ton of money. And there's very little you can do about it. Right? It's not like they were FDIC insured. Um, and so, yeah, and I'm, I'm probably a little more uh, quick to defend the idea simply because as being a, a pretty pro-free market guy, the idea of a cryptocurrency is really appealing to me. Even though, again, I do tell everybody, hey, don't invest more than you're willing to lose. Uh, But to me, the thing that was fascinating about this was just how ready people were to jump on this as a scam. Um, And it really brings up the question of what do you do in that kind of situation? Right? It's really easy for your brand to be tarnished simply because you were at the wrong place at the wrong time. Like None of this was really Coinbase's doing, as was confirmed by Visa today. And yet, for a solid weekend... Well, no, even more than that, pretty much from Wednesday of last week to now. So the half a week, um, they were being looked at as this shady uh, entity. And they're one of the biggest um, distributors of cryptocurrency right now. So that, that's a serious thing. But would you also say that it's because the, you know, the outline is, you know, feels like, you know, they've stated that it's their mission to fix the digital world. Um, and so is, well, it yeah, just and their, is it just their sort of... Outline is the most extreme example, for yeah. sure, right? And, and that's why I use that one, just because, you know, it's funny to laugh at them. Uh, but it was everybody. I, everybody covered the story. Um, and very few people printed retractions to it. Um, or, at the very least, updated the originals um, to say anything, right? So, like, for, for example, right now I'm looking at The Verge. They posted a new, sto- a new story today um, 
talking about how Visa confirmed that it wasn't Coinbase's problem. But if you go back to the original Coinbase article, uh, there's no update there that, that mentions that at all. Um, and, and it's one of the problems we have now with, with news in general, where people don't aren't as diligent about correcting bad information as they really need to be, at least in my opinion. I mean, it's not just the overall way that um, media has sort of changed in the, you know, in that it's digital media, in that people don't go back and it's like you you tweet, the world is ending, the world doesn't end. You don't go back and fix your tweet. You just retweet your tweet again. You know, you just keep moving forward, building new dead links. I mean, that's a problem because it makes when you research something, you're coming up with so many things that were not updated, but that might just be the dint of, you know, how many retractions are necessary in regular you know, uh, non-cryptocurrency media stories. You know, this well, is indicative a of, a, of a larger trend in in kind of the way that that media is run, where we don't have the, the almost the time or the even inclination or the will or the involvement. And I'm not saying this from a conspiracy point of view in terms of that we're just going to print lies and never go back. But, uh, you know, well, oh, that was wrong. Okay, fine. We'll write a different story, but I'm writing it for a different site or whatever. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think this is compounded by social media, uh, where you share that first article, and maybe you yourself see that retraction, but you're not going to share that retraction, right? So all the people who just saw what you posted and are now running with it aren't going to see the next article where it was like, oh, yeah, actually, this wasn't Coinbase's fault. Um, And the reason why I, I think this is an example worth examining is that people are directly financially impacted by that. Uh, with some stories, it's like, oh, well, uh, it's unfortunate that the wider information wasn't out there, but general, normal people aren't really impacted. Whereas you look at the number of transactions on Coinbase, it's, it's crazy. There's a ton of people who were directly financially impacted by this news. Um, and it turns out Coinbase didn't really do anything wrong here. Yeah, right. Uh, so then should this, uh, all the anger and so forth be directed towards Visa? <laughs> Well, I, that shouldn't be anything new, yeah. right? Visa fucks I up know. every four minutes. But I, but I also, it does raise some important questions about the, you know, in, in a, in a, in a, when you're working with something that's has a high volatility. And as we know, you know, these, a lot of these cryptocurrencies, they, they bump up and down. And I think people are still wrapping their minds around them in terms of, you know, what these, what these um, instruments are. And that might also lead into it. But I, I, I do stand by that this is also, a, a, you know, kind of indicative of where reporting is in general. It's, it's better to share that, you know, the sky is falling, you know, uh, tw- uh, tweet or sky is falling post on your social media than it is a retraction. Retractions are not sexy. That's true. And it's one of the major problems with social media sharing. I mean, as of right now, there's a lot in the news about uh, Russia meddling with the elections and these troll farms whose sole job it was to spread misinformation on social media. But I think even if those organizations with that express purpose didn't exist, uh, the way in which we share news and the way in which we consume news is really a bad thing for the truth. Um, If you get most of your news from social media, then chances are you're ill-informed. Uh, I feel comfortable saying that pretty much across the board. If there's, if your friend sends you a link to an article or you see a family member sharing something, 
before you share it with anyone else, you should at least do a Google search, do a little bit of your own research, because the amount of misinformation that's out there right now is, is kind of disgusting. Yeah, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't have the exact episode. Uh, if I'd done my due diligence, I would have this lined up. But uh, I know that you know on the media, uh, you know NPR uh, show that's also streamed as a podcast. They did have a, a, a story on retractions because even with your quote unquote traditional media sources, and I'm talking about, you know, uh, the, the type, New York Times, Washington Post type of, and I'm not specifically saying offline. It's online, offline, whatever. That um, often retractions are um, buried, and not by dint of some. Uh, again, not by dint of some conspiracy, but by just there's something that you put on a different page. You're not going to give it on to page one. Uh, we got it wrong. <laughs> you know? Right, it's the whole it bleeds, it bleeds thing. Got it. So something else is bleeding, so that's what's leading. When really it was a newspaper who's bleeding right now because they got something wrong. Yeah. And we sweep that part under the yeah. <laughs> well, especially these, um, you know, quote unquote, you know, the journalists, and I don't use that the, the quotes in a pejorative sense. I, I'm, I, I mean, the folks who are very reaction based on, you know, in, on Twitter, having those followers, they're often not signed to any one source. I mean, folks who write for one entity are probably writing for five others, three of which you've heard of, <laughs> two of which are obscure. And so therefore, they're just about that volume. You know, and then going back and, you know, there's one, there's no one single editor who is managing that, that particular, you know, reporter's work. Yeah, that's definitely true. So is this a strong buy for uh, cryptocurrency, especially the one that you own that if other people buy it, (laughs) it'll. Well, you know, Bitcoin is super volatile. Uh, Every cryptocurrency is super volatile. So like I said before, don't buy any unless you're okay with losing money. But right now I'm investing in Monero. Uh, If you want to. Follow Matt name withheld along and invest in what he invests in. Please go by all means. Go ahead and don't do it <laughs> until I've done it, and that way the price won't go up until after I've purchased it. Yes, great idea. <laughs> all right, this is all above board. Yes, definitely above board. <laughs> there's, there's nothing shady about no this. No shady at all. You know, full disclosure. You know, we're we're good. We'll talk to our lawyers. <laughs> oh yeah. Do you want to make more money? Of course we all do. Do you wish your every online action was judged? I love when online actions impact my life disproportionately. Well, you should join Sesame Credit. What is Sesame Credit? Did you see episode one, season three of Black Mirror? Mm, No. Watch it. You should really watch it. Approximately ten hours later. That sounds awful. On a long enough timeline, everyone will eventually use it. Sesame Credit. The dystopian future none of us asked for, but we all deserve. This podcast definitely not brought to you by Sesame Credit. Hello, your call cannot be taken at the moment, so please leave your message after the tone. <laughs> all right. Well, speaking of above board, I think that takes us to our next segment, uh, which. I think you have a thing or two to say about people enrolling you in promotional emails, Peter. Oh, yes. I have noticed this of late in that, you know, as you know, I travel around quite a bit. And in doing so, I purchase many things, some of which are personal expenses. It might be a cup of coffee. It might be that I 
rent a kayak in Houston. <laughs> and I've noticed that these minor transactions, and I specifically am going to use start, I'm going to lead with the cup of coffee. I purchased a cup of coffee in the design district of Fort Lauderdale about two months ago. And the reason that this is so memorable is that when I purchased that cup of coffee, uh, I must have somehow given them my email to give me a receipt, which seems to make sense. Hey, do you want that receipt emailed to you? Do you want to print it out? Do you want me to do it in long form? And I must have said, all right, just email it and just rattled off my email address. And upon uh, doing so, yes, I did get the receipt. And then I get, hey, we've got a singer, songwriter coming in on Thursday. And now I'm located in New York. This is down in Fort Lauderdale. And this is the same as other transactions that I've made that I think are pretty minor. You know, I might have been in Houston, rented a kayak for or bicycle for three hours, and then all of a sudden I'm getting um, a whole number of not just the receipt, but I'm signed up for their promotional emails. And not just, often for some of them, it's not just one email address. So if I unsubscribe from one, I'm also getting, and it's sort of the Groupon thing. You know, you have like five different emails sent to you from five different uh, entities. And uh, yeah, it's just starting to drive me crazy. Okay, so I know this is a big issue for you, Peter. Uh, we're going to turn this into a new segment we call Talk Me Down, where Peter gets very upset about something, or I get very upset about something, and then the other person has to try and talk them off the ledge a little bit. Well, I'm going to go totally full on on this one because um, I'm constantly battling... Uh, gray mail. And, you know, before the, uh, before we started recording, I was reading off to you a couple of the, uh, many, 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 uh, emails that I get that it takes me at least, uh, I would say every two months or so I have to strategically sit down and unsubscribe from a number of things. And, uh, what I've been noticing is this pattern of that. It's not just the, you know, uh, Maybe I gave a donation to an organization or maybe I, uh, you know, purchased something from Amazon. I'm talking about now everyone's on it, where the cafe in my neighborhood now sends me updates. The cafe in Fort Lauderdale in Miami. I'm getting multiple cafe. I could drink. I know every singer-songwriter that's going to sit on a bar stool between here and Florida. <laughs> okay, but like surely some of that is your own fault, right? Like, they, they flip the tablet towards you, you sign the little thing, and then you put in your email for the receipt. And there has to be a checkbox somewhere on that tablet that you're not seeing, It must right? be, but at the same time, you know, I did go to a, um, a greeting card company, not Hallmark, so um, greeting card company, to get a Valentine's Day card. And so this card is about uh, $2.98 or whatever it was. And the cashier was like, oh, um... You want me to, do you have an email address on file? Like, have you been here before? Oh, yeah, I've been here before. You know, just a friendly transaction with, you know, the person who's ringing me up. I said, yeah, I've been here before. Oh, oh, do you have an email address on file? And I'm like, oh, it could be, and I give my email address. Oh, we could email you a receipt. Uh, okay. And I am just inundated. <laughs> Based on that $2.25 or $0.95 purchase, I've now uh, uh, implicitly given my permission to uh, this uh, entity um, to give me not just my receipt, but to let me know every time, you know, uh, chalky tasting chocolates are 50% off. But that sounds like 
you kind of opted in there, right? Like when she asked you, oh, do you have an email on file? You could have e- easily just told her to fuck off, right? Like you didn't have to <laughs> give her an email. <laughs> so you wait, your advice is to fuck off? <laughs> no, no right. my advice is to tell the nice lady in the Hallmark store to fuck off because you don't want to give her your email address. Hey, that, now that you've rented a kayak, can you give an email address? Because we need to give you this, you know, this liability thing. Oh, sure. Fuck off. I'm sure that if you're actually renting something and there's a liability document, they print it out so you can sign it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm just going that, that you know, you're, you're saying it's user error. And I know in our line of work that user error. It's always is, user it's, error. <laughs> it's almost always user error. But I think there's something duplicitous going on that it's just harvesting these emails that I believe that they're not just benefiting from by spamming you with this, like, you know, uh, uh, lattes or uh, latte Sundays or something. I, for all I know, they're bundling this and selling it. You know, I did, and we, we, we I, did, I don't know whether we mentioned this in a previous episode, but I know we were talking before we started recording about the unenroll me uh, as an alternative to totally unsubscribing and the issues with that, which is a whole other set of, um, uh, <laughs> a whole other discussion but that they were benefiting from even you unenrolling by bundling your information and, and then selling it. So I wonder whether is my local cafe in on this action? Are they harvesting my email and then doing so in a way that I have to be super vigilant to say, where is that checkbox? Like, do you want a tip? You know, $1, $2, no thanks. And maybe on the lower right-hand side, there's, you know, nine-point font with a tiny little box and I have to check it with my big fat finger you know, should the consumer, should the user be responsible for defending their inbox? Well, okay, two things about that. One, you could always just press the button that says print a receipt or no receipt, right? Like all of these systems do have that option. What if I need a receipt? <laughs> then hit the print the receipt option. I'm terrible with printing receipts. So I put them in my back pocket and then I stuff them in an envelope and then they sit there. You know so that. Maybe the cost. <laughs> so the, yeah, that's, that's true. true you know, you know that. Uh, so maybe the cost of the convenience of an email receipt is that you get enrolled in these emails. But the other part of it is like I don't think there's some grand conspiracy where every coffee shop across the nation is uh, also in the business of selling email addresses. Right. I mean, I like I, I, I agree. It's not just the coffee shops. It's the ski resorts. It's the kayak companies. It's the bike rentals. It's First Fleet Concerts. I don't even know who those people are. I'm calling out people by name. I went to an event at the Brooklyn Historical Society. I didn't even pay for the ticket. It was a free ticket given to me by my sister. I'm inexplicably getting a million emails from them. And it's like I swat them away. I'm like, unsubscribe. And you get it like I was saying, here's an email from Beaver Creek. I went there like a year ago, once. Somehow, right? Yeah, but it's then up to me to, so I, I know, you know, I, I did go skiing like uh, a year ago and I bought a, a pass and it was a four mountain pass and I went to four mountains and I'm getting four different emails from four different mountains, including on top of the email from the, per, you know, the company that sold me the pass. So in this way, it's sort of, um, it seems that there are these, these deep links <laughs> that are out there where you know if you sign up for one service do you necessarily deserve to get uh you know more emails from 
other agencies and entities. Well, and yeah, cross-promotion is definitely a thing. But I think in most cases, this is just examples of you didn't find the checkbox, you didn't uncheck it, and the simplest solution is normally the right one, right? Where it's like, okay, well, because now so many different um, businesses use these similar services like Square or like Revel or like whatever else, where it's based on a tablet and you're, it's very simple for you to type in your email, you're ending up on a whole bunch of these individual mailing lists, part, partially because, you know, you just go out there and you do all these different things and you live your best life. Um, I don't necessarily think it's a conspiracy. And yeah, cross-promotion is definitely a thing, but um, for things like concert venues, yeah, you're probably going to get some emails from other related services, but I don't necessarily think the coffee shop in Fort Lauderdale <laughs> is part of this this ring that's uh, all about selling your information to other gray mail providers. Well, I did come up with a, with a, with a solution that I think is... Uh, anyway, I find it amusing is that I created an email specifically for those interactions. So when someone says, you know, at the card shop, hey, do you have an email? And I'm going to give out this email. <laughs> Everyone should use it. It's aol.hotmail.yahoo.att at gmail.com. So rather than just telling her, <laughs> no, sorry, I don't have an email that on file, you would rather say... Oh, yes, my email is aol.yahoo.hotmail.att at gmail.com. No, my... <laughs> like, that is an easier interaction for you than just saying, no, sorry, I don't have an email. <laughs> I might need the receipt. And it's aol.hotmail.yahoo.att at gmail.com. Oh, good. I'm sorry. I don't want to get those mixed up. <laughs> I want you to spam someone unnecessarily. And you're now signed up for catbacks. I am definitely signed up for catbacks. <laughs> I'm battling my cat right now to keep her off of uh, <laughs> Mrs. Chompers. Um, so, <laughs> which brings me to something that uh, everyone who's listening, and by that, uh, I mean the one person who's listening, is um, you should hit us up with your stories about... Uh, Email malfeasance and uh, receipts gone wrong at unsubscribethepod at gmail.com since we definitely love to hear from you. And, uh, uh, you know, don't sign us up for cat facts. Uh, We will definitely unsubscribe. Um, We're definitely already signed up for cat facts, too. (laughs) That's already a thing. It's already a thing. Uh, But, yeah, yeah, no, uh, please send us an email. Um, It doesn't have to be about nonsense. It could be about something useful as well. Do you want to make more money? Of course we all do. Do you find the Amazon Echo too useful? Are you kept awake at night with fears of the robot apocalypse? Thankfully, some robotics engineers in India came up with the perfect solution in Jibo. Jibo is a home robot with the intelligence of a mid-90s flip phone and voice recognition so bad, you'll never worry about a robot taking your job again. To get started, ask Jibo a simple question. Then, feel the immediate disappointment as it stares at you, blankly, with all the intelligence of a first-generation Furby. Then feel the creeping, cold realization that you spent $900 on this literal piece of garbage. Jibo, this is why millennials will never be able to retire. If I'm not under pressure, then I sleep too long, and I hang around like a bum. I think I'm going nowhere, and that makes me nervous. Everybody's out to get me, but I feel all right. Everybody's out to get me, but I feel all right. Everybody's out to get me, but I feel all right.
you've got mail. Um, speaking of, we actually do have an email here, and it's going to represent our last segment for this episode. Um, and this email comes in from John in Texas. I'm not going to read his full name. Uh, but according to John, um, he works for a financial institution that really isn't exactly on the ball when it comes to updating their services, especially their consumer-facing services. Um, in particular, it seems like they have a couple of different apps that they've either let fall into disuse, uh, and now they don't work on a whole bunch of different devices, or have since been merged into other apps. Um, and he has a lot of frustrated customers that he's trying to support, and is wondering if we have any tips on how to best handle situations like this. Uh, are you talking about Bank of America? I did not say Bank of America. SunTrust? No. I'm going to keep guessing, either. and then I want you to say yes to... Like, you don't, don't, Moving don't say on. yes. <laughs> Let's not dox the four people who email us. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so they, I actually have a couple of, of tips for this. Um, I have some experience in this area. Um, one of the first things that's really important and that's a, a little bit awkward or, or a little bit uncomfortable is really having a clear idea of the direction of that project. Um, and what I mean by that is if you were someone who is lower down the line, like uh, it seems like John is, he works um, as a support rep. Um, it means having a conversation with your manager and making sure that they understand that it's important to you to know what's going on with the roadmap of the product that you're supporting. Um, if something is being discontinued, you deserve to know about that. If, if there's plans for it that aren't widely known yet, um, you should ask. Uh, a lot of times things are withheld from the larger organization, not because it's some great secret, but rather just because the information hasn't been distributed because no one asked or no one is interested. Um, and knowing what it is you're supporting is super important to providing worthwhile answers to customers. I mean, what is this something? I, so let's say that this is somebody who's at the support uh, in a support, you know, uh, role. And I mean, isn't it the, the responsibility of leadership and management to sort of broadcast this down rather than somebody who's, you know, getting some mysterious email to have to sort of up chain this whole uh you know, so, you know, this, to find out what this, you know, the proper response is. In a perfect world, absolutely. And I do think that it, it says something about mismanagement that it gets to the point where people have to ask. But that said, especially in larger organizations, most of the time priorities are on other things. Um, and so it is worth looking into. I mean, it might be a situation where it was handed down in a memo or whatever else. Um, and your direct manager does know something. And for whatever reason, they just haven't given you the information yet because other more important things are going on. Um, at the very least, it's worth a conversation. And that has to be sort of point A before you move on to anything else. And so, I mean, I, I had a situation where, um, you know, I'm going to... I, I, I'm going to hem and haw a little bit here and there because I'm, I'm anonymizing this, but it was a, it was a product that was not only no longer um, supported, even though it was out there in the world, but there was no, um, there was no code in the um, time tracking system for me to even take the five minutes it would take to ask that question in that it was it was absolutely just not a thing anymore. That's actually what people said. Oh, such and such is not a thing anymore. And I'm like, like well, how do I answer this email? And I just get these blank stares from the management. And like, well, there's no code in Replicon to, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, give your time. And I was, you know, I was, you know, working in 15 minute incre increments. So, yeah, I'm just throwing out the hard scenario that a lot of folks might uh, come across when 
you know, if you're not being told in a clear and succinct manner, how, how do you take this on? Because when it gets into your queue, it's kind of, it, it's in your lap, whether you want it or not. Well, and yeah, that's, that's fair. But ultimately, um, if you don't know how to answer a question, it's just like with any other question, right? You escalate. And it's ultimately your uh, director of success's job to know what to do. Um, even if there's a question you don't know how to answer, you need to go get help. And ultimately, if you're lower down the food chain, it's, it's not your responsibility to figure this out. Um, ultimately, there should be someone who's in direct control of the organization whose job it is to get that answer. So in a situation like that, I would recommend you escalate, um, like you probably do with other support inquiries. Um, but moving on to the next portion of it, and particularly this is more aimed at people who are responsible for drafting that messaging, um, the people who are at sort of the, the director level actually managing the support tests. Um, and this is sort of how to communicate that to your customer. Um, at, at a certain point, even if you don't have good news, you do need to keep people informed. If the product is end of life, it's end of life. Um, dancing around that and pretending it's not is ultimately only going to make things worse in the long run. Now, sometimes that's unavoidable, um, especially if decisions are still being made about that product, um, and in which case your best bet is to let the person vent a little bit, right? Um, a big part of handling support successfully is making sure people feel heard. Um, so if someone is unhappy about something, you don't want to hand wave away what they're saying or be annoyed that they're bothering you with this or just send them a, a response and, and not worry about it. Right? You really want to let them say their piece because who knows, maybe something they're saying will be of value and that's something you can communicate up the chain and it will actually impact the development of the product. It's rare that happens, but it certainly can happen. Um, once you have sort of allowed them to vent, I think being as honest as you possibly can shows. Um, telling someone, hey, we are aware of the, of the problems. This is definitely something that's on our roadmap. We don't have anything to share right now, but I promise you, this isn't something that we have forgotten about. Um, I definitely apologize for the inconvenience. If there's anything I can do in the meantime, let me know and I'm happy to. But rest assured, this is something we're talking about internally. Uh, that's the best response you can give someone if you're unsure of what's going on. Yeah, and definitely, you know, I, I've seen in other folks who are, you know, managing communications that they try to be too clever and try to give too much. They, they You know, folks think that they are working for, uh, you know, uh, a political office and, and I think try to engage in too much doublespeak and and um, most of us are just not good at that. So honesty is, like you said, be as honest as possible. You know, you're not going to throw your you know your organization or company under the bus, but uh, you know we 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 need to just say you know as close as possible to uh, you know the truth is always easier than than trying to quote unquote craft a message to the point where. You wind up just saying a lot of gar garbly gook, and then someone puts you, your company on blast on Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. And people do have bullshit detectors, right? Yeah, well, I think um, people's bullshit you, detectors have gotten better. I mean, as I know that we have a lot absolutely. more quote unquote yeah. fake news and you know bad journalism, and we've been talking about kind of like it's going to be an ongoing thing, not just a single episode, but where you know things are not pointed out, you can't find the button to click or what have you to unsubscribe, but but that I think that people have become more savvy as users, as consumers, even folks who don't necessarily understand the underlying technology that may lead to something not being supported. Like, oh, my God, this is such a great service. How can it not be 
supported. Well, you know, they don't need to understand the whole business model that means that that, you know, particular service was just giving away the castle. Um, but, uh, but certainly I, I, I just, I try to be frank, uh, in my communications without, um, I, I, I'm a terrible liar. <laughs> I'm terrible at it. I just shouldn't write that kind of copy. <laughs> Yeah, and on the whole, I, I agree with you. I do but I just think, think it's a good business practice to not have to do that because there are people who are good at that. They're called politicians. They go into politics because they're really good at saying two things at once. And, you know, the really good, you know, statesmen and women out there are really good at saying an all-encompassing thing that doesn't really commit to anything but sounds pretty and leaves you feeling satisfied. But 99.9% .9 of us are just terrible at that. Whether we're the manager writing that, you know, writing that response or whether we are, you know, at the customer service level, we're, you know, we're um, trying to trying to figure out just how we can impress our managers and in, in writing that amazing response. Yeah, absolutely. And I, what I always like to say is save the schmaltzy marketing copy for the automated marketing emails and just be earnest and empower your support people if you're a manager to talk a little bit. Have a real conversation with someone because they're going to walk away feeling better about it, even if you don't ultimately have a great solution for them. Yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, so hopefully that helps you out, John. Um, please uh, reach out to us again if you have any additional questions or follow-up. And as Peter mentioned before, you can send an email to unsubscribethepod at gmail.com if you'd like us to tackle your issue. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, thanks for listening. And certainly thanks to Jim's Big Ego for our music yeah for letting us use his song stress we really appreciate it do we it. have anyone else thanks to everybody thank? uh no we don't. we don't the rest of you no one thankless yeah. <laughs> uh thanks everybody stay subscribed to unsubscribe we'll catch you next Take week care. Bye. i'm addicted to stress that's the way that i get things done if i'm not under pressure then i sleep too long